Hi, I'm Tony Hines and you're listening to Finding Out. Finding Out is a podcast that connects questions with data to give answers generating insights and discovery. This is the podcast for the curious. So let's begin. Hi, I'm Tony Hines and I'm here to talk to you today about getting published. And this is particularly focused at researchers who are wanting to publish outputs from their work. And one of the things that all researchers have to do, of course, they have to focus on the writing outputs in academic journals. So I'm going to particularly focus on academic journal writing. Now you can think about experiences that you have with writing and how good you are in actually doing the task of writing. Writing is a skill, so the only way to get better at writing is to actually do it and to continually write. And as you learn to write better, it becomes noticeable. Sentences should be short, they should be focused, they should be clear to the reader, and if you're making a claim, it should make reference to the evidence for the claim to support it, because you're writing something that's scientific in nature. And that applies to social science as much as to the sciences. And all we mean in this sense by science and scientific is that you're making a claim to knowledge. It's about adding to the knowledge and understanding. But we'll reflect on that in a moment. Let's think about how we set about the task. Well, we usually get an idea for a piece of research and we think about the key aim that we want to address in that research. And that key aim comes from our understanding of the literature and what's already known about a topic and what we think is either contested, contestable or not yet known about the topic. And those final three categories, of course, the contested, contestable and unknown, should be the focus for the piece of research that we undertake. It's fertile ground for making a contribution to knowledge, which is the aim of what we want to do as a researcher. Now, there are some key questions we have to answer about how we're going to achieve the aim. There might be a number of objectives that fall under the aim that we want to achieve, to know something, to understand, to identify, to analyse. There'll be doing words, verbs, that we can demonstrate what we want to do as we carry out the research. And so once we have those objectives and an overall aim for the piece of work, we need to then think about the research itself. What are going to be the sources of data that are going to provide the information and the evidence for the claims that we later make or build through our analysis and argument development? And basically those two A's that we just talked about, analysis and argument, are the two key elements of any writing that we do as a researcher. We have to have data, we have to analyse the data, and from the analysis, we have to build an argument based on the evidence that we've discovered as part of the research process. And that really tells us about the writing process itself. Now let's think about the writing process itself, because that's pretty important to think clearly about it. And I always think a good way to begin to think about that writing process is to think about the communication, the message that we want to deliver to the reader. And an abstract is the way that people choose to either select 
and read your article. So it's a good thing to begin with the abstract itself. And the abstract has key parts. There's the title of the research, which is the paper title, the article title, or if it's a book, it's a book title or a chapter title. And then we have the aim that we're trying to achieve. And we summarize that in a sentence. And the key thing about abstracts is they are short. They are likely to be about 300 words or thereabouts. And we have to convey our message quickly to the reader that this article is worth reading. Now, over the years when I've been working with research students, I've quite often asked them to write an abstract, even when they haven't done the research yet, to begin thinking about the process of research itself. Because if you can think what the outcome from the research might look like, you can begin to think about how to do the research and the sources of data you need. So if you've got the aim, you then have to begin to build an argument. And this should be something that you want to find out that's very clear to the reader in the opening statements. And it also demonstrates that it's come from literature. So citations are quite useful while you're building the abstract. And you may want to remove those abstract citations later when you complete the writing because the citations don't really need to go into the abstract itself the abstract but it does help to focus the abstract at the start and it demonstrates that you haven't just come up with the idea without reference to what's already known because the purpose of citations is to tell the reader about what's already known about a topic and then to identify areas that are less well known contested contestable or completely unknown a good way to learn about writing an abstract is to go and get hold of a few abstracts for journal articles in your field of interest and begin to deconstruct them look at the key elements the parts of the abstract how they're put together and how they conclude by taking a look at written work what others have written you can begin to develop your own skills in writing the abstract and it goes the same for the article itself. If you read several articles, you begin to understand how the article is put together. Now, they might be different. They might have different aims. They might have different methods that they employ. And they might have different analyses, quantitative, qualitative. And they might have, of course, different arguments, different claims and different conclusions. But if you can abstract yourself away from those differences you'll begin to see the underlying form of the paper itself there's usually an introduction that sets the context and the background for the study it says why this study is important why it's useful to do this study at this time why it's different or how it's different from other research and will have a particular unique approach that's emphasized at the start in that introductory section. Once you pass the introduction, there is a literature review telling the reader about what's already known and what's not so well known about the topic under investigation. Then you'll tell the reader what you're trying to do and focus upon with your study. So your questions 
for the study will come from that review of the literature. They fall out of that literature review and that's where you have your study proper begin post the literature review. So your empirical work, the research that you do. And here you'll have a name, some research objectives that you're trying to achieve with the study, the method discussion and how the method helps you to know or understand a topic. You'll justify that method and in the justification you will use citations from other researchers' work to demonstrate that you have the research skills to do this piece of work and that you understand the game of writing the research study. And then, after the methods section, you'll present the study itself, what you did, what you found out. You'll explain how you analysed the data and the sources of that data and why you picked them, why you thought they were appropriate. And you'll reach some conclusions from the analysis that you carry out, whether that be quantitative or qualitative. Might be some statistical tests that you do, or it might be qualitative analysis that you do. And you might employ tools to help you do that, such as SPSS or R or NVivo if it's qualitative work. And then out of the results, or out of the analysis of the results if you like, you will find a way to make claims to a new contribution to knowledge as a result of doing this work. And that's the key part of the research contribution. And at that point, you conclude the argument and you try and make it as convincing as possible based on the evidence that you've presented in the writing. Finally, of course, in the paper, you might have some reflections about how you might have gone about the work differently knowing what you know at the end of the study. You might point to limitations of the study and you might suggest further areas of research that could follow on from the study. It may be for your next research project or you might be giving a steer to other researchers to pick up the work and follow on from what you've done. When you write... Find a good environment, quiet space, comfortable space where you can be not disturbed and you can get your mind clear and thought processes clear without any extraneous noise. And you can begin to write and enjoy the writing process in the comfortable space. The other thing about writing, sometimes we write in pairs or teams or small groups. And when we do that, it's quite useful because... We can motivate each other. It becomes a social process as opposed to a, a solo process. And so writing in teams it can be useful. You can pick up particular arguments or pieces of the work and you can just write a small focused piece and then present it to the group for comment and feedback. And you can change it on the go as you develop the arguments in the writing. Now, that's a very useful mechanism when you've got a pair or a small group writing together. And the other thing is you can have regular meetings. And those meetings are easier these days. You can do them online if you want to. It makes the writing process much easier. You can have a very focused hour once a week to catch up and keep things on track and then send the iterations around to others or display it on screen, the pieces, and make notes on the go. And that's a very useful 
way of keeping in touch and keeping to time. And it keeps you realistic because you can be critical of others and they can be critical of you. And because you're a team that know each other well, you won't be too bothered about the criticism in in that sense because the criticism is important for the development of the work and the achievement of the goal, which is to write the article. So all that's a very useful, practical tip. The other thing I do before I begin writing anything is I make a plan. Now, if I'm on my own, I do that myself. If I'm writing with others, we do it together. It may be that one of us drafts a plan and the other comments on it and shapes it, or it may be that you shape it together or you revise it together, but you'll find a way of working that suits you and whoever else you're writing with. And you might be writing with somebody more experienced, in which case they can offer advice and take a lead on the structuring of the paper. Or it may be that you have a similar level of experience where you can participate equally in the process of writing and the mechanism of doing the writing. Another practical tip I would give you is to agree on authorship before you begin. Now, usually if the work is done in equal part, then the authorship is clear. It's probably alphabetical. If somebody's doing more work than somebody else in the process of writing, then it may be that that person takes the first lead position. But reach an agreement. Don't just assume that the authorship will be alphabetical or otherwise make it explicit. And be clear on the reasons why that's so. Sometimes somebody who's more experienced may not do as much writing. But they might do as much work because they shape the paper, do a lot of thinking, do a lot of analysis, even though they don't necessarily write 50-50. They could still be the first author because they're shaping the paper. But you'll have to come to an agreement on that. You don't want any fallout at a later stage. The other thing you need to know when you write anything is who you're writing for because that helps you shape your ideas, the structure of the piece, the type of language you use and how you build your arguments. Now in most academic writing, if we're writing for a journal for example, that's predetermined to some extent because the journal itself will have guidelines for the writer and it's important that you understand those guidelines and take a great deal of care over reading the guidelines so that you can make sure that you're congruent in your writing style for the audience that you're writing for. And that's an important determinant for any reviewer looking at the article because they will say, has this person met the criteria to be accepted into this journal? So it's important that you really, really pay attention to those guidelines. The other thing you need to do or you should do is try and get hold of the criteria for review so that you can understand how reviewers will be assessing your submission. And the best way to do that is to volunteer yourself for the journal you want to write for or to get some experience, volunteer for conferences and get to understand the thinking of the review process and how reviewers call something out or call something in. If it meets the criteria but it's not up to standard, 
they'll most likely send it back to you with some comments of how you can have an opportunity to get it to a standard for acceptance. So those are key tips for anybody writing for a particular journal. And get to know the people who are on the editorial boards. Meet them at conferences. Bump into people. Once you're in the process of doing research, you'll meet all kinds of people that can help you. Without being explicit about asking for help, you can just talk to them about their ideas and their processes involved to get published. And that's always interesting. Now let's take an editor's perspective. Supposing I edit a journal, and it's a popular journal, and let's say it publishes a volume each year, and there are six editions in each volume, or six issues in each volume. And usually, each volume perhaps has, let's say there are 10 articles that go in each issue. That means there are 60 papers going into that journal in each academic year. So of those 60 papers, I might receive as an editor 300 papers. Now, if I only require 60 to fulfill the volume, that means I'm only going to accept one-fifth of the submissions. 20% of those submissions are going to make it through review. That means that there are 80%, some 240 papers, that are going to be rejected. And that's the simple mathematics that the editor deals with. So when I receive articles for the journal, what am I going to accept? How am I going to prioritise which looks promising and which is unsuitable? Well, there are screening processes. When it comes on the editor's desk, I might look at the article and think, hmm, that's an interesting topic. And we haven't got very much on that in the journal, but it would be useful for our readers to learn about this topic. Does it meet the criteria? Let's have a look at how they've written the abstract. And if the abstract is good, well-written, and it fulfills my criteria for that journal, the published criteria that state what must be included in a submission, then that becomes a promising article. Not yet accepted, but it's past my initial scrutiny, and I'll probably send it out to reviewers for comment. So that's the first hurdle you have to pass. The next hurdle, of course, is what those reviewers feed back to the editor. And they'll have a form with criteria that they have to fill in and say what they think is good about the article, what's not so good, and whether it's up to the quality standards for acceptance to the journal. If the reviewers give a review that says, not quite ready, but if the writer or the researcher is able to do these things, then it could be considered again for publication. Now that's a good start because that means you're in the loop. So then it's your job as the writer to ensure that you do everything possible to pass the next round of review. So you address all the concerns raised by reviewers and after you're convinced that you've made enough arguments to pass the paper back for a second review, that's your job done for now. And then it's in the secondary view where it's really important they look at it in more detail and make a judgment call as to whether that paper is going to get into the journal. And if it's on the editor's desk, it might, it might sit there for a short period of time while the editor weighs it up. 
But supposing the editor has, remember the 300 articles, he's got to reject 80%, he's going to accept 60, and supposing he's got 90 in review. That still means that 30 of those papers are not going to make it into this round for the journal. So it becomes an editorial decision after the reviewers have done their bit as to whether it is put to one side and perhaps will be considered again for publication at a later date or whether it's a rejection at this stage and it's pushed back to the authors to submit their work elsewhere. So that's the mechanics of a process in rough form. And it's important for you as the writer to understand that. So don't think it's any bad thing if you get a rejection. you simply got to be resilient, bounce back and have another go. And when you resubmit your article to a different journal, don't just assume that because the reviewers of that particular journal that you originally submitted to have said after this work it will be possible to progress the paper or publish it. You have to go back to your new journal where you're going to resubmit, you know, once it's been rejected, where you're going to submit it again to someone else. You have to go back to that journal, read their criteria and make sure that you're going to match against their criteria for acceptance because there's no guarantee that you'll automatically be accepted into review for the new journal submission. You have to go through the process again. But the more of this that you do, you begin to learn, you get better, and you get faster if you're smart. So let's sum up what we've discussed. If you want to write, first thing to do is become familiar with your target journal and the requirements that they have. Check out the editorial guidelines, read them carefully, digest them, and follow them to the letter with your submission. With the submission itself, when you're writing it, you have to position your research within the disciplinary context of the subject matter in your field. And you'll have to make the arguments clear and you'll have to back them up with evidence from your research study. You'll have to demonstrate that you're competent in your approach to doing research, that you understand the methods that you've employed and justify those for the purpose of writing the article. Your analysis will also have to be competent and demonstrate that you've been thorough in what you've done. And you'll have to have a contribution to knowledge with your original piece of work. This original contribution, of course, has to pass the so what test. So why should I be interested in it? You've found this out, but so what? So always keep that in mind. And the final suggestion to you is if you want to be a writer, you have to read a lot because you have to understand how people put articles together and how they write their abstracts to pass the review processes. So I hope what you've learned in this session helps you to pass the review processes and helps you to become a better writer. That's it for this episode of Finding Out. Hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you have any comments or feedback on the program, then we'd be delighted to hear from you. So please do get in touch with us on social media. So look forward to seeing you next time. This is Tony Hines, signing off from Finding It.